Provoke podcast is brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialists, Marketeers. Support for this podcast comes from Notified, the integrated, intelligent and easy-to-use PR software. Get a free demo today at Notified.com. Hello, welcome to the Provoke podcast. I'm Diana Marzalek. I'm senior reporter with Provoke Media. Today, our guest is Mike Kapitanovich. Did I get that right, Mike? You got it. Close enough. Uh, Mike is the founder of Growth Labs. And tell us a little bit about Growth Labs. You are a um, in a very specific world of the federal government contracting world. So please tell us what you do. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, uh, and thanks for having me as well on, on this. So um, Growth Lab is it's sort of my background is for the last 10 or 15 years, I've been in the agency business working. Um, I had a few digital agencies myself um, and sold to one of the larger independently owned ad agencies in the DC Metro uh, probably five or six years before, before running that. So over the last probably 10 or 15 years, been working with a handful of marketing communications, digital uh, integrated comps, PR, et cetera, agencies. And really our focus is working with them to understand the federal market, uh, well, I guess public sector market, just federal and state level markets, um, working with them on identifying opportunities, gathering intel, winning contracts uh, for these guys, and, and really trying to, trying to go into the public sector as a lot of companies and a lot of these agencies are, are really looking to diversify their revenues um, given some of the recent volatility in the, in the private industry. Well, and how big, op- how, how much opportunity is there out there um, in the in the public sector? There is a uh, there is a lot um, in the federal market. In last year, there was about two point four billion dollars billion with a B um, spent on marketing communications, and that includes um, a number of things. So it's sort of rolling up in their marketing communications is your your typical PR or media type of plays, integrated comms. Um, marketing, advertising, outreach, event management, and sort of everything in between. So that 2.4 is a, a very large number, but the, and that's just in the federal market. The, the state level also spends quite a bit of money on larger, larger engagements like state level lottery accounts and, and some of the other stuff, but federal government spends over a couple billion dollars on, on these types of services annually. And how much of that money or what, you know, where does PR fall into all of this PR agencies? It's interesting. It's, I've seen it go many different ways. So PR typically gets rolled up under a more integrated marketing, integrated comms type of contract. So just pure play PR not not a ton of contracts out there. There there are definitely some, but I I'm I'm seeing more and more continued sort of tucked up under a more integrated type of type and effort, whether it be a consumer facing uh, campaign that has some some advertising and some outreach and then sort of PR as a as a component to it, or that, that being one example but seeing less and less sort of pure play public relations type of uh, type of opportunities, especially over the last probably 12 to 18 months. So where is the, so where is though then the, the opportunity for PR agencies? Are they, is it aligning with other kinds of agencies? Um, 
Are there, you know, a few big accounts for them? I mean, if if I'm an agency and I, I want to look into these opportunities, as you said, because of the volatility of other things, um, where is the opportunity for PR? The opportunity is a fewfold. Um, the opportunity is to mine for the pure play uh, PR opportunities, and and that that just varies um, by department, and especially coming into sort of a new administration. Um, some some agencies have a little bit of cleanup to do and, and sort of reputation management and, and some of the other pieces that PR might might be a interesting play on. But what we're seeing is the continued evolution of many of these sort of traditional quote-unquote PR firms in the market. If you look at the Ogilvy's and the Weber Shanwick's and, and some of those guys, those guys are traditionally PR oriented, but they've done a really great job of morphing themselves into a, a more integrated comms marketing type shop offering a much wider array of services. So if you look at sort of the top quote unquote PR firms in the federal market, it's, it's your, it's your big players. It's the Edelman's, it's the Weber's, it's the Ogilvy's, um, Porter, it's, it's those guys. But if you look at sort of the level deeper on what each of their contracts where each of their contracts are and what they're doing, most of it is, uh, most of it's comms. Most of it's sort of integrated comms and definitely having a PR flavor to it. But a lot of it is health comms, a lot of work, especially those agencies specifically. If you look at the Edelman's, the Weber's, and the Ogilvy's, most of their federal work lies in public health. So looking at HHS, Department of Health and Human Services, a lot of that work is um, supporting agencies like CMS or CDC on various public health related activities, whether it be the COVID campaign or various vaccination, um, public health communications and outreach campaigns. A lot of a lot of where those where those particular agencies lie is um, is public health, and they obviously many of them have other contracts. But it's interesting they've. They've all done a really interesting and great job of morphing into a larger offering. And then they have a very strong public health creds. But then Ogilvy's got contracts at Homeland Security and, and USAID and, and a few other things. And same thing with Edelman's at Department of Energy. Um, Weber has a few contracts across, again, USAID and, and a handful of other um, federal agencies and departments. So they're, they're doing a really good job of sort of expanding their capability set, but then also sort of getting into more and more markets. And so are, these are all the big guys. I mean, does are, are independents or smaller agencies sort of um, iced out of this or is there opportunity there? No, I, I, think there's, I think there's definitely large opportunity for the small business market as well. So it's sort of like if you look at the $2.4 billion stack that I, that I threw out, um, about 1.1 million of that was earned by non-holding companies. So if you take out the WPPs and the Omnicoms and the IPGs, et cetera, take that out, roughly 1.1 billion was worked on by independents. And a lot of that is really attributed to small businesses. So if you sort of look at the market from a independent uh, agency standpoint to answer your question, as well as a smaller business standpoint, there's still considerable opportunity, a billion dollars plus, 
Um, and where I would where I would play is a lot of these contracts, especially the larger contracts that quote unquote go full and open competition that anybody could bid. Many of those have small business set aside goals that typically range between 22, 23% and 30%. So meaning $50 million contract, call it between, um, just trying to do easy math, call it between 10 and $15 million of that $50 million contract needs to go towards smaller businesses um, in which a lot of these boutique independently owned or smaller agencies that to the likes that aren't of the Weber's and the Ogilvy's, et cetera, um, can, can definitely play in that, play in that camp. Is there room for agencies though that don't, often you hear you, I, I will read about these contracts being awarded to independent agencies, but they're independent agencies that maybe are steeped in kind of federal or state contracting or they're public affairs firms. Sure. Um, is that what you see? I mean, is there room for non-specialists as well? Um, all the above. It's, it's interesting. A lot of, a lot of the work is if you're, if you're exceptionally strong in public affairs, whether it be public sector, private sector, whatever, whatever type of experience you have, there's a lot of public affairs types of contracts. And that's probably to answer your earlier question, sort of where some of these opportunities might exist. Um, there's, there's definitely a lot of public affairs types of contract and those typically aren't buried up under some of these larger contracts. Um, but from a, if you, if you don't have federal or public sector experience, a lot of that is you've got very strong experiences from the private sector that you could bring in. And that's what we actually work with quite a bit of our, our clients on of how do we diversify and, and how do we diversify into the federal market? And then how do we position what we have in the commercial market into that? So one exercise that I typically run through is if you just rattle off sort of the big, the bigger departments and agencies, look at the cabinet level departments and agencies in the federal market, um, whether it be health or, or defense or anything else. And just like, how do you, how do you position what private sector experiences do you have um, and how, how does that relate in? I'm working with a, in a, a company now that has um, a lot of great work on financial services and really engaging with the veteran community. So how can we parlay that experience into whether it be DOD or the VA or um, even some treasury given, given their financial services experience? So there's a lot of ways to slice and dice your private sector experience and, and parlay that into into the federal government. And so that's what you do. You work hands-on with the agencies. I mean, I guess you, you know how to identify the opportunities, but then it's more than just a liaison between the two. It sounds like you really get your hands dirty and you're working with the agency and how to pitch the government, which is a different art, correct? Bingo. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all the above. It's, it's identifying the opportunities. It's, um, it's, it's really developing the, at many times, if you're not in the government, developing sort of what that go-to-market strategy is of getting into the government. How do we, how do we parlay your private sector experience in? Um, and a lot of that is also, especially for new entrants entering in, a lot of that is just going in as a subcontractor and identifying opportunities that might make sense to, to be positioned up under a larger organization and get your get your sort of put your toes into the market, so to speak, and, and gain some of that past performance and and that know-how. So we do a lot of that. We do a lot of teaming, which is basically building 
multi-agency teams like you would see in the private industry of it might be a, a team led by so-and-so agency, but there's a need for five or six subcontractors on it. So how do we, what makes the most sense um, there? And um, that, yeah, that's, that's where we spend quite a bit of our time. And then especially for new en entrants, we, we spend quite a bit of time. It's just the federal government is uh, full of acronyms and jargon and everything else. So spend a lot of time on uncovering what a IDIQ or a BPA or, oh. or a CTA or, or all these different, there's so many different just acronyms. So it's the federal government loves their, loves their acronyms. So uncovering and, and sort of making sense of all of this stuff for agencies is, is also where we spend a lot of our time just because it's, it's, uh, it's foreign language to, uh, to folks that aren't in it on a day-to-day -day basis. I believe it. And it's not just um, kind of positioning your private sector, but do, you, do agencies have to get um, almost certified or um, approved as a contractor or anything before the actual pitch process? Yeah, it's, uh, there's, there's a certification process and it's, <clears throat> it's pretty light. Um, so you would need a, you would need to be registered in, in uh, Dundon Bradstreet and, and have some of that information, sort of corporate information registered. And then there's a portal um, at sam.gov, sam.gov, that you would need to be uh, registered in as a, as a company or an agency looking to do business in the federal markets. But aside from that, there's, there's, not, there's not a ton of hoops to jump through. Um, there's often conversation of GSA schedules and, and maybe agencies um, have, have been pitched uh, the GSA path a time or two um, previously, but it's the, that's oftentimes a, a mis, misunderstanding where I've heard from agencies a number of times saying, hey, well, uh, I don't have a GSA schedule. I don't want to get a GSA schedule necessarily. Um, I, I can't do work within the federal government. And that's not, that's not at all true. It's just GSA schedule is, offers you a, a set of other opportunities, but any company that doesn't have a GSA schedule and doesn't want to go through that process, which, which can be costly and can be extensive, um, you're, you're still able to compete for federal contracts. So you mentioned that there's some cleanup going on with certain agencies and the change of the administration. I mean, what have you seen just, I know it's been just a couple months, but what are we seeing in terms of the new administration and PR opportunities? We're seeing, uh, we're seeing some interesting things and it's, it's all the stuff that, uh, that we've been reading about over the last six months or so. Um, it's, it's where the new administration has sort of made promises and what they've put in their, in their playbook, so to speak. Um, a lot of it is continued emphasis on public health, especially given the COVID and, and the pandemic that we're in. There's a lot of money flowing through related to COVID and, and vaccinations, both at the state level as well, as well as the federal level. And that's, that's really interesting to sort of see how different layers of the government is responding to that differently. And especially on sort of the state level, it's, it's a little bit of a wild, wild west of some states are doing it one way and other states are doing it another way, et cetera. But HHS by and large is spending a lot of, a lot of time and effort on navigating that space. And I think the other topics that we're seeing continue to pop up in the public health market is sort of the, uh, the minority health disparities. So where, just understanding that and how do we get ahead of that and how do we continue making headway as a, as a country to, to reduce the health disparities between various audiences 
is another um, another hot topic, especially in the in the public health market. And we're con we're continuing to see more and more conversations happen in the environmental space. So, what is EPA or um, Environmental Protection doing? How are they communicating to the market? What is Department of Energy doing? How are they communicating to the market? So, presumably, there would be more and more opportunities out of EPA or energy or even housing and urban development. Sort of those three or those three or four agencies have really been sort of overlooked um, in. In, in some recent years. And I think if you, if you sort of just draw the correlation between administrations and things, and we don't wanna go down the political rabbit hole, but it's, it's interesting of sort of where, if you track the spending and the funding of some of these cabinet level agencies, where each of these administrations have, have really put their money. So I think the, there is continued traction and it's to no surprise that there's gonna be more and more opportunities in, um, in public health, um, substance abuse, health disparities, COVID, all of that, um, energy, environmental, and um, we're seeing a lot more opportunities in, in the international space, whether it be um, diplomacy out of Department of State or, or some of the stuff that USAID does. So um, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's definitely an interesting time. And I think more there, it will be more and more clear as months go on um, where where some of these opportunities are going to lie because it's a lot of these new administration folks are, are still trying to uh, to get situated and, and get seated and try to figure out what their priorities should be and and yeah. communicating to the market um, accordingly. Absolutely. How um, how does politics play into this? Not on the um, on the politician <laughs> side, not on the government side, but do you see agencies that are trepidatious about getting into the mix when issues can be politicized or they're working for agencies that are inherently political? Um, yes, um, <laughs> seeing, seeing that a lot, it, it's interesting. Probably about six to 12 months ago, there were a handful of very, very large contracts out of um, Homeland Security, specifically Customs, Customs and Border um, Protection, and and we've all probably seen the the articles in in New York Times and Washington Post and everything else on on how some of those contractors, including Ogilvy um, and and members of their team, sort of react to servicing um, servicing an account like that. Um, and I, I think going going back to your question, so it's it's interesting when when those opportunities arose. I was, I had a number of phone calls, especially with the holding companies where there's agencies like that. It's, it's hard to, it's very difficult to find anybody that wants to pursue that type of work, given sort of the, the polarizing nature or perceived uh, nature of, of that particular mission. So some, some view it as an opportunity as a less competitive space and, um, an ability to do meaningful work. Other agencies say, no, uh, we do not want to get anywhere near that or enter into that market at all. And um, it's, it's, that's definitely definitely a consideration. Um, CBP strikes as, as one in, in very recent months that, that have um, been, a, been an example on that. Um, and even, even some of the other items there was a FBI contract that, that came out a few months ago that not many people wanted to play on. 
Um, so it, it, it sort of varies um, agency to agency and industry. I guess I'm, I'm using, it, again, my, my own name and nomenclature. There's governmental agencies and, and industry agencies. A lot of the industry agencies um, have, have definitely have guardrails on sort of where, where to play and, and what they might be sensitive to. And has that gotten heightened with the political tensions and divisiveness in this country? It's it's grown. Uh, yes, it's. Um, I think it was probably at its peak, maybe a couple of months ago, as the previous administration was exiting and the new administration was coming in, um, and it, it was just made for a lot of interesting conversations as a lot of the former administration appointees. We're trying to uh, push contracts through, um, and some some were a little uh, radioactive, so to speak, and and others were were uh, opportunities for great work. So it's understanding and navigating that space of of what might be radioactive and and what might not not be. But uh, we definitely saw a lot of that probably um, a couple months back. So in the year ahead, what are you expecting to see? Um, I think you mentioned. Business, expecting things to grow, opportunity to grow, correct? <laughs> I'm optimistic that we'll see that we'll continue to see a a couple billion dollars or more spent in in the industry, um, and it's historically the the big spenders of the money are DOD, DHS, our Department of Defense. Again, me using my acronyms again. Uh, Department of Defense, DOD, Department of uh, Homeland Security, DHS. Health and Human Services, HHS, and, and the Veterans Affair, the VA, are sort of where the, the big pockets of money are. We're going to continue seeing um, more and more spend there, give, especially on the public health side. And then in defense, it's um, with Space Force and, and with some of these other things coming, coming into market, continued seeing um, spend there. So it's going to be what I'm most probably optimistic about um, over the next year or so is we're gonna see a lot, probably a wider array of contract opportunities. Um, and sort of just looking back at, at the previous democratic administration, we're gonna see a lot of a variance. So we're gonna see agencies that, that might not have been funded um, to previous levels come back into play. Um, that includes energy or environmental or HUD, housing and urban development. Um, so it's, it, it'll be an interesting market, and there's definitely um, opportunities for independent small agencies, large agencies to, to really grab, uh, grab, grab traction in, in the public space. Great. I appreciate the insight because I know this is, can be, just hearing about it is somewhat daunting, <laughs> let alone approaching all of it. So um, I appreciate your time that you uh, spent and the work that you do with agencies to kind of Get them in this. Get them in this mode. I think that's. Uh, I think that's the biggest. Uh, that's the biggest concern that uh, agencies have. It's. It, it's like where do I start? It. It's. It's daunting. It's overwhelming, or it can easily be overwhelming. So, um, but there's there's definitely resources out there to to help, and and there's certain nuances and everything else. But I, I'd say it's a it's a great market to be in. It provides the the stable the uh, the stability. Uh, government likes to pay its bills and. A multi-year contracts and everything else. There's a whole litany of uh, reasons to to do work within the federal sector, but just go in and 
with eyes wide open and know what it is, know what it isn't, and and figure out where the opportunities are that that align with the the agency. Excellent. Your phone may be ringing off the hook. So, yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, it's good to talk to you. Appreciate the time. Yep. Take Thank care. you. Appreciate it. been listening to the Provoke podcast brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialists marketeers. Support for this podcast comes from Notified, the integrated, intelligent and easy to use PR software. Get a free demo today at notified.com.